Hey guys, welcome to the Health Addict Show. Before we get started though, I wanna cover a couple things. This show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I am not your doctor. So if you have questions or concerns about your own health, please ask a physician, okay? Get the right information for you. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. everybody welcome to the health addict show i'm your host tommy J, and i got another good episode for you today we're gonna talk about quite a few things i think they're pretty important you know sometimes there's topics that i like talking about and then there's some topics i feel like that we just kind of have to talk about uh the first one is the rising increases in stis stis also known as sexually transmitted infections because it was recently changed i shouldn't say recent it's been a while now changed from stds because it's not really a disease right you're not you don't have a chronic disease with most of these infections you actually have an infection so it's sti versus std so then we're going to talk about the incentive programs that they have for physicians and see if it's actually doing something the idea that we treat patients to increase their quality of life versus the quantity of patients we treat for physicians is kind of the ultimate goal for this program. We'll see how well that's been working. And there's a case study even involved with how well it did or didn't work. And then finally, we're going to talk about who should you see? Should you see your primary care physician? Should you go to the urgent care or should you go to the ER? We're going to talk about a couple scenarios and kind of help with the overall decision process so you can make the most ethical decision and go to the right place that's going to get you the right treatment as fast as possible and most effectively for your cash buck, okay? Because sometimes, yeah, you can go to the ER and get treated immediately, but it's going to cost you over $1,000 versus an urgent care visit, which is only $100. So we'll, we'll talk about overall these situations and we'll get to the bottom. What is best for you? So let's talk about the rising sexually transmitted infections that are happening in America. From 2013 to 2019, there was a significant increase of STIs. And when I mean increase, I mean major increase, over 30%, especially in the categories for gonorrhea and syphilis. There was over a 60% increase in both of these STIs, just in the patient populations. Now, this population is the older teens, so a little bit younger adults. It's mostly binary relationships with the male and female, and maybe homogeneous relationships with the male and male. Men, you are nasty. I'm just kidding, guys. I know you're wondering, what's the big deal? Because a lot of these can be treated with antibiotics. I mean, gonorrhea can be treated with azithromycin or syphilis can be treated with the penicillin family. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is as more infections increase and the more you use these type of antibiotics and other treatment options that we have, the more resistant that these bacteria and viruses become against it. I mean, even herpes was increased during this time, both simplex one and simplex two. And these are very hard to treat. And in fact, herpes is untreatable still at this time. So it's very important that we reduce the amount of infections, not only for your personal health, but for health moving forward. Because the more we treat these bacteria with these type of medications, the more resistant they get. And that's how we've gotten methazone resistant Staphylococcus aureus. We've gotten other ones that are very resistant to multi or, or multi drug factors so it's very important that we treat these effectively through their treatment course don't stop antibiotics in the middle of them and get through it so just be careful do use protection but we need to really focus on especially the younger generations coming into this because they're the most vulnerable for sexually tra transmitted infections and i know what some of you're thinking abstinence is the way to make sure that nobody gets 
STIs. But guess what, folks? You ain't gonna stop them. They have too many hormones running through them. You gotta educate them, okay? Education is key, as in the show. So we'll continue on with more education. All right, moving forward. Incentive programs for physicians. It's a great idea. The idea is the better you treat your patients and the less likely that your patients come back for treatment, the more of a bonus you get as a physician, which is awesome, right? Because that's what we ultimately want. We want to effectively treat patients. And this is what a lot of other countries do, especially since ones with universal health care, they focus on treating the patients and that's how doctors get paid. They want their patients to be healthier. So the less that patients come in, the more pay that the physicians receive. The more times the patient comes in, the less pay the physician receives. And there's some factors in there. I mean, chronic illnesses, there's some things you just can't predict, you know, and there's some things that all revolves around the patient doing what they're supposed to be doing. But the idea that we better treat our patients gives more incentive for the doctor to do better. Unfortunately, this didn't seem to be the case. JAMA released an article about how physicians were utilizing the hospital's policies to get more patients in and out because that's how hospitals work, right? That's their main source of revenue is filling beds. So the more they filled beds, the better the hospital did. And most physicians are employed by a hospital. It turned out only 10% of the physicians were receiving incentive pay throughout that entire study because most of them worked in for big health systems. So the idea of incentive pay is a great idea, but unfortunately with the medical system that we have right now, it just doesn't work as as not as feasible as it should be. And I'm not saying physicians and hospitals are purposely making patients sick to increase their revenue, but the idea is that they're overloading these physicians with so many patients. It makes it harder for them to treat. I mean, these hospitals are filled with patients and there's very understaffed with medical workers. It's all, it's the complete oversight of the entire hospital. And it's not on purpose. I mean, for one, we're short in healthcare workers. For two, there just isn't as many people that want to get in healthcare as there used to be. Um, there's a physician shortage as well. So all these factors together, it really makes it hard to make the incentive program work because there's other factors influencing the process. So for private practice, I'm sure that it works very, very well. But when everything relies on a larger health system with surgeries, inpatient populations, outpatient populations, it makes it harder to make the incentive program actually work. All right, now let's talk about a very important part, and this is Who should you see when you're not feeling well? Should you see your primary doctor? Should you wait till the next day till they open? Should you go to an after hours urgent care clinic? Or should you go to the emergency room? These are very important questions because they put different strains in the healthcare system. And sometimes financially, we can't afford some of the other ones. So it's good to see what you should wait on and what you should seek emergency medical attention for. All right. Here's when you can kind of see just a walk-in clinic or seeing your primary care physician. Um, things like a, a rash without fever, uh, mild flu-like symptoms like cough, congestion, maybe a sore throat, um, ear pain that isn't excruciating or ringing tinnitus in the ear, and then maybe some eye redness or any areas that are just small discharge without itchiness. It's kind of one of those things where it probably could wait till tomorrow and there's not a big deal. So these kind of things are something you could wait for, save some money, and see a physician for that isn't being pushed to the edge. Now, if you're starting to feel worse and you feel like you need to see somebody, 
And urgent care is probably the next best choice because it's walk-in available, it's a little bit more expensive, but you're not going into the emergency room that requires an emergency because a lot of things in the urgent care can be treated without emergent care. And that includes a fever without a rash. Um, if you have vomiting or persistent diarrhea, meaning it lasts more than six to eight hours, it's probably a good idea, especially if you're at the 24 hour mark, then you definitely should see somebody because you're probably dehydrated. Um, abdominal pain is a weird one. So abdominal pain could be cramping. It could be impactment. It could be from injury. You can make the assumption on this one. So if you're feeling like it's from injury, then it's probably a good idea to go to emergency room. But if it's not an emergent uh, pain that you just suddenly occurred, it's been kind of some crampiness or overall dull pain. That's the abdominal pain to go to the urgent care for. Wheezing and shortness of breath. I think this one's a little bit hard for people to really tell because when you're not breathing well, it's hard to make the assumption like, is this an emergency situation or could I see an urgent care for? For chronic asthmatics and COPD patients, it's kind of easier for them to tell. They have something called an FEV1 or a peak flow meter that they use. And this kind of measures the lung volumes that they can push out in a very forced expiratory push. And they can see it on a percentage because they've been doing it for so long. If okay, I'm kind of in my mild stage or if I'm in my severe stage. But for the regular patient that's exhibiting wheezing and shortness of breath, this is kind of a difficult thing to understand. So if you can still breathe, walk, make senses, um, this is typically okay to go to the urgent care for because you'll get your breathing treatments, they'll evaluate you, you might get an x-ray if something's looking a little worse like a pneumonia. But if you're having trouble making sentences, if you can't talk, if you're purse-lip breathing, if you're hunched over trying to breathe, this is an emergency situation, you probably should go to the ER or call 911 to seek immediate medical attention. So kind of make the assessment based on how you feel, how your breathing actually is. It's a very tough one unless you're a medical professional to kind of make these assumptions, but Generally with breathing, I usually don't mess around. If you can't breathe, I would say typically, if you can't make this call, just go to the ER for this one because they can fix breathing pretty quickly and get you in and out if they have to. Or you might see that you need to actually seek a lot of medical attention and have to stay. Now, trauma is another one that's hard to really tell. If it's just a small sprain or strain or cut that might require stitches, the urgent care might be actually a good spot for you because there really isn't much more that an ER is going to do for this than an urgent care won't. They'll get you a sling. They'll put some straps in. They'll sew you up if they need to. Um, small Small cuts are okay for stitches. If you have a very big laceration and you're losing a lot of blood fast, make the correct decision. Go to the ER. But a small cut because you were cooking with food and using a knife or a scissors just got away from you, these kind of small end cuts don't necessarily need an ER visit. Remember, emergency rooms are for a true medical emergency. And urgent cares are treating medical emergencies but aren't immediate medical emergencies. So kind of use that in your judgment as well. And finally, dehydration. Most of the time you can get that treated at urgent care. You don't have to go to the ER for dehydration. Sometimes people understand they're like, oh man, I just feel terrible. And they haven't been drinking water or they have an excessive diarrhea or they've been sick for the last couple days and haven't had their fluids or burning off a lot of electrolytes. Sometimes it's good just to go to the urgent care for this matter because they can get you rehydrated, get you an IV versus having to use the ER resources. And finally, all right, here's the real, real reasons you should go to an ER, okay? These are the top easy ones you should always go for an ER for. Chest pain and difficulty breathing, 
Weakness or numbness, especially to one side or facial drooping with slurred speech. These are signs of a stroke. Fainting and change in mental status, especially altered mental status. You notice your family member or friend isn't acting normally. These are physical changes in the brain and they should be seen immediately, especially if they're diabetic. This is super important. Serious burns is another big one. Burns hold a huge complication list between losing lots of fluids, you lost your main defense on the outside body. The skin is a huge barrier for infection. So now that that's open, you have a high risk for infection. And most of all, they're extremely painful and they might need to be debrided, meaning they have to get scrubbed. So this is very important if you have a large surface area burn to seek medical attention for that. Head injuries is another one. This is something you shouldn't play around with. Your brain is a very delicate organ. So if you have any kind of head trauma, you should definitely go to the ER, especially if you're having very large headaches, you had fainting or loss of consciousness. This is something you should definitely see medical attention for. Confusion is another symptom of a head trauma. Broken bones and dislocations I think is pretty self-explanatory. I feel like most people who have this would definitely just go to the ER anyway. Because um, <laughs> they're in so much pain for the most part. So, but yeah, definitely a broken bone or dislocation. You should go to the ER to get that fixed. This is another one that's super important. This is fevers with rash. Fevers with rash is a very serious side effect of two things, either an infection or an allergic reaction. With an allergic reaction, it's not so much of a big deal. We have a pretty good treatment course that goes through and we've kind of got it down to a science as far as how what we're going to give a patient. But understanding the infection source is a huge one because there's a lot of infections that could cause a rash and a fever, including scarlet fever, measles, mononucleolus, shingles, and of course, rosella, which is another type of virus. It kind of resembles the herpes virus. It doesn't cause cold sores, but it's kind of the same chain and family. But more importantly, if you have a fever and a skin rash, don't go to the urgent care because they're just going to send you to the ER anyway. So just come straight to the ER for the situation because it can become an emergent situation very quickly. Another reason to come to the ER is if you have a large laceration. I'd say these are bigger than two inches across and they are underneath the skin at this point. You can see musculature, vasculature. These are definitely big lacerations that need to come to the ER. They might even need surgery if they're deep enough or if they cut through something important like a tendon or an artery. So make sure if you're bleeding or unable to stop the bleeding, this is something you should definitely come for the ER for. And this includes vaginal bleeding too. If you, a lot of bleeding is important to come to the ER for, especially if it's unexplained. This includes rectal bleeding as well too. So make sure you understand the reasoning for the bleeding or if it can't stop the bleeding, definitely come to the ER. And then finally, severe cold and flu symptoms. And I know you're saying, Tommy J, you just said that we could go to the urgent care for this. The bigger idea is if you have uncontrolled fever, uncontrolled symptoms, this is time to come to the ER. Especially if you've been on like acetaminophen or fever reducers, NSAIDs for more than 24 hours and you cannot break this fever even with ice baths. If your fever is up to 104, this is definitely time to come to the ER. Your brain is cooking and you need to get some medical attention for that. The biggest takeaway from all this though is to trust yourself. You know your body really, really well. And you know, I mean, no one's gonna give you any kind of crap if you're just scared and you don't feel good and you wanna see somebody really quick. But there is sometimes ways you can make better choices to get better treatment and these are the options for that. So if you're really unsure, seek whatever medical attention you can. 
Um, there's a lot of good resources out there. I mean, you can ask a friend. I know I bet most of you have a friend that's a nurse or respiratory therapist or doctor, physician's assistant, nurse practitioner. Um, there's very good and smart uh, CT and radiologist tech. So just ask somebody, okay? It's good. It's okay to ask for information. Some people are so scared to ask for this information because they feel like it makes them look stupid. But that's not the point, especially when you ask your physicians and other medical providers these questions. These are good things to ask because it helps with your treatment process. Okay, so don't ever be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to seek medical attention if it feels uncomfortable or you know your body and something is definitely wrong. All right, I'm getting off my high horse. I'm sending him into the sunset. Bye, Seabiscuit. We'll miss you. I'm kidding. Thank you everyone for listening. Please, please, please subscribe. If you want to hear more information, I'm on all the platforms. Please email me or send me direct messages. If you have medical questions that you'd like to have answers for, I'd be super happy to answer them or find the answer with one of my colleagues or friends who could definitely get the right answer for us. So stay addicted to your health and I will see you next time.